Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the JDA Football Podcast, the return. I say it every single time, but this is the return, hopefully. Um, this past week saw Ole Gunnar Solskjaer be relieved of his duties after a 4-1 loss to Watford. England hit 10 past San Marino. General news, which includes RB Leipzig versus Manchester City, will be behind closed doors following a rise in COVID-19 rates across Germany. And Rangers have announced a replacement for Steven Gerrard with Giovanni van Bronckhurst coming in as his successor. All of that and much more to come on this episode. But Alex, we've got no Joe, but we've managed to get two of us in. So how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's been uh, been quite a while, but um, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, hopefully more to come. Um, there's going to be no like score predictions at the end of this, but we will have, hopefully when Joe's back, uh, he can join us and we'll take part in that. But yeah, we'll focus on some of the games and like what I mentioned in the intro. So the first game, I think we can really only start in one place, Alex, England-wise. 10-0 against San Marino. And I know they're one of the worst-ranked teams across the world, but some of the people that you wouldn't expect them to score, like I know Maguire scored. Uh, there was an own goal that was a deflection that was very poorly decided um, by the defender himself. And then Kane with four, of course. He's on 48 now, I believe. And Rooney's on 53. So he's only about five behind him, which is... He, he will catch him up, won't he? Do you think he will? Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's still got a few years left in him with, with international duty. So I'm... Um... I'm pretty sure I'll catch up with him unless he brings his Tottenham form back to England, which uh, at the moment isn't happening, but yeah. What did you think of the display, though? I thought it was really good. Uh, a very professional display. I think you said to me before the game, we need to put a few past them because, as you said, um, France put eight past Kazakhstan and stuff like that. So we need really need to show what we're capable of going into the tournament. And I think we really did that. Uh, we definitely didn't play our strongest starting eleven. Uh, and I think if we did, we would have put a few more past them. But yeah, I think we played uh, very well. Yeah, if anything, it was a too young of a starting eleven, really, wasn't it? Smith Rowe was in there making his debut. Um, I thought Saka, the amount of chances they had down that left side in the first 20 minutes, we could have had a, a two or three more, but we couldn't convert them in the end. Um, and then the offsides as well. We had a lot of offsides, didn't we? Yeah, I think on another day it could have been a 14 or 15. We could have really turned them over, but. Um, yeah, overall, I think we did well to, to keep continuously scoring goals. I think when we played against, was it Albania? Yeah, uh, on the Friday. And then we scored for, for, uh, five in the first half and then just uh, tailed it off in the second half. We didn't really do that against San Marino, which is, which is good to see. If you had to pick one of the goals that was your favourite, if you can remember them because there was that many, which one would you have to pick? Uh, I'd probably go with Tammy Abraham. I think that was just a very, very well-taken goal. I think he had one disallowed before it as well, so it must have been a very relieving finish as well. Was his the disallowed goal where he headed it? Because Or was that Mings? I think so. Yeah, you know the, I think the goal I'm talking about was, I think he like chested it down from across and then... Yeah, it yeah. was his knee, wasn't it? it yeah. Brought it down on his knee. Yeah, that, that was a great goal. But there was another goal, and I was thinking, I don't know if it was Mings' goal or Abraham was offside, but I think it might have been Mings. The ball's come in from Trent. And I think, I think it might well it would have been Minks who's just like flicked it, but the header like it's really hard to do, and it just arrowed into the top left yeah. or curved. So that that was one of mine pick of the bunch. Uh, also in the internationals, a shock draw: Italy drawing against Northern Ireland, um, which means that Italy don't qualify for the World Cup, but they do go into the playoffs. Um, Northern Ireland, I mean, the ground was bouncing. I saw it near to the end and at the start because I was watching the England game in between. But it was a brilliant performance, it seemed, by Northern Ireland to keep the Italy team out. What do, what do you think Italy can do now, not go being in the World Cup? Do you reckon they'll just have to pray that they get through the playoffs, which will be hard? Yeah, I think exactly what you said. They kind of have to, to pray they get through the next match. I think they've got the quality in the squad. They definitely showed that in the in the Euros. But they just have to show it a bit more. They could have, I mean, the Jorginho penalty miss against Switzerland really has been the, the deciding factor whether they're qualifying or not qualifying. Uh, I don't think they played particularly bad against Northern Ireland, but I think with home advantage and uh, the Northern Irish fans being so loud and uh, Northern Ireland needing to, to fight back from their, for their last result, um, I think that really put everything on Italy's shoulders and they had to perform, they just didn't. Um, but I think I think if they show their quali- quality in the the qualifiers, then I don't think they'll have a they'll have a problem. 
Yeah, going back to that Jorginho penalty, I think if he'd scored that, because what was the result in the end in that game? I think Can you remember? one all. one all. Uh, and if, so if they'd have scored it, they'd have gone through by one point. So. Yeah, and with the draw as well, so that would have been, yeah, like you said, one point, which is mad. Uh, but does that mean Northern Ireland are in a possible... Or are they? No, no, they're not. Uh, they, no. they don't qualify, do they? I've just realised. Um, I think but... they struggled at the start of the group, so I think that's what's really pulled them down. But I think they did well to to finish third in that group anyway. So Yeah, looking at that group as well, Bulgaria and Lithuania, maybe not so Lithuania, but Bulgaria did really well. Eight points against those sides. Yeah, and then there's the two established teams around Europe, which is uh, Switzerland and Italy. So I think Northern Ireland can be can be proud of their results. To another home nation, Wales won, Belgium won. De Bruyne scored in the 12th minute. I think it was Joe Allen tackled him. Everybody went way in the crowd. And then Kevin De Bruyne yeah. just had to silence everyone, didn't he? And bury it uh, bottom right. Uh, and then Kiefer Moore applied in the 32nd minute. That was a very well taken goal. And it means Belgium go through and Wales, who go through on five points, but it's a possible qualification. So they go into um, the playoffs. I mean, it was a great night, wasn't it, in Cardiff? Yeah, I think um, the crowd really pushed Wales for this uh, for this draw. I think that yeah, they wouldn't have um, been in the uh, in the preliminaries or the qualifiers if they hadn't have drawn. So it's a very very important result for them, and they they did show some quality even without Gareth Bale, which I think a lot of people thought they they couldn't do, but um, yeah, they definitely showed it. I don't think when we they were going into the game, I don't know about you, but media-wise, I just saw that Wales, if they could do anything against Belgium, that would be great. But looking at it after the game, they really needed, like you said, to score that goal because if they didn't, they could have possibly missed out on the playoffs. Yeah, it was very, very important. And um, I think this draw also means they're, they're also seeded. So I think they get a slightly easier team and home advantage in the qualifiers. So... I don't, as you said, I don't really know why there wasn't much media surrounding it, but it's a, a very, very important draw for Wales and their hopes of making the World Cup. Definitely. We're on to Scotland where they won 2-0 against Denmark. Uh, Sutar scoring and then Adams also scoring. A very important game uh, for the Scotland to go and really have a bit of confidence to go into the playoffs because we already knew that they were going through. This Scotland team, Steve Clark's, of course, left. How do you think they're reshaping this team now with this win? I think, I think they're getting a bit dangerous. Uh, they definitely have the squad now to uh, to compete with Europe's best and they've shown it uh, with the Denmark result. Obviously, Denmark coming into this match, I think they'd won nine out of nine and conceded one goal or something like that and scored 30. Yeah. So it's definitely a big statement win for them going into the playoffs and I think it will give them some momentum as well. A big team missing out in that group I've just seen as well. Austria, 16 points. That's, what, seven points behind Scotland in second. You wouldn't usually see that, would you? So I don't know what that's down to. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of their, their players at Alaba and um, and Arnautovic are at the, the lower end of their careers. So I think that's one of the deciding factors for that. But it's still very disappointing. Serbia managed to pull off a masterclass against Portugal, winning 2-1. Renato Sanchez scored in the second minute, followed up by Tadic in the 33rd minute. But then Mitrovic in the 90th minute scores to send Serbia through and Portugal into the playoffs. I mean, it was a dramatic game. I, I wasn't watching it live. I don't know about you, Alex, but it was a big game and Serbia showed up, which many didn't expect. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a very, very important win for Serbia. Uh, obviously, they went through. Uh, without having to go in the qualifiers, which I'm pretty sure going into it, no one would have bet on. Um, but I think it's a tale of missed chances for, for Portugal. They, on several occasions, could have won a lot of games. Uh, I'm thinking back to Ireland when they, they missed a penalty as well. So, yeah, it's definitely down to the, the managers and the uh, manager and the players uh, for them. But, um, yeah, in terms of Serbia, it's such a big result and such um, an important factor for their for their football going forward. I, that Ireland game as well, when it was nil-nil against Portugal, I was shocked by that result because, as you would expect in this game, even maybe, maybe so less so against Serbia, but you would expect Portugal domination and them to score at least two goals. To think the players that they've got, though, 
and they're not using them to capabilities. It's it's a bit strange, you know, I think. Is it Ronaldo being, I don't know. We've seen what he's been like at United, keeps moaning. Uh, and the performances aren't coming in. So could that be translating to his country with Bruno or is it just Portugal in general? Yeah, I mean, um, there's been a lot of criticism over the manager recently. Um, but he's got so many quality players to, to put in the starting eleven that he, he really struggles to, to pick it. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's down to him at the end of the day to, to pick the 11 best players to, to play. And then sometimes he's just not. So I think the criticism is... Uh, slightly due as well definitely now we'll move on to the Premier League games we are recording this on a Sunday so we're not currently I don't know what score it is in the Spurs uh, uh, Leicester game the uh, Spurs Leeds they've just gone 2-1 up 2-1 up who scored the second Regulon Regulon oh that's good for him is that his second goal for Spurs third goal for Spurs I think uh was it his first goal for Spurs his first. I don't. I. I I've seen him a purple kit. I remember, but I could be just thinking of him. I might, might be the first one in the Premier League. Yeah. Well, you've heard it here first. Um. Yeah. So we'll go into the Premier League games. I think we can only start off with one game to be honest, Alex. Do you? And don't say the Everton City one. <laughs> oh. Is it? Is uh, it United it is, yeah. Uh, Watford for Manchester United won. Uh, Josh King, 28th minute. Saar in the 44th minute. United come back with Van der Beek in the 50th minute. Pedro, uh, yeah, João Pedro comes on, 92nd minute. And then Emmanuel Dennis comes on to wrap it up for four. Man of the match was Emmanuel Dennis. Uh, yeah, I think he, he had an incredible game. Looking on the Watford sides first of anything, because you can't miss them out really. Brilliant performance considering they are fighting for relegation. Dennis really backed into um, the United back line and really made it hard. Um, a bit like how uh, I think it was Zapata, yeah, for Atalanta. That's how he did it. He just backed up into Maguire and Lindelof and it made it really tough. And it, it worked for Watford in the end and Ranieri. So fair enough to them. I think anything to, else to add really on the Watford side, Alex, because it was a great performance by them. And I know United were bad, but Watford were very, I say very good, good. Yeah, I think it's just a, a shame, really, for on the Watford side of it, um, that the performance was really drowned out by the fact that Man United eventually sacked the manager after the game. But um, as you said, it was a really, really important and, and convincing win for Watford. Uh, I can't really name a player who had a bad game. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very good for them. And as the, um, they've shown under Ranieri twice now that they can beat teams they just need to to find that consistency which I'm sure they'll get we'll go on to the United performance and I'm going to talk about the performance first and more so Ollie in a bit in a minute I thought the first half I mean the we'll start off what was it in eight minutes seven minutes in David De Gea has to make a save off of off the penalty spot which was may I just say a shocking penalty by Saar yeah. I knew he wasn't going to score it because you know when they line up and they're just like in the through the middle and yeah, you're thinking you, know where you, have to put, you have to put an angle on this because you, it's either so when he's even taking it it's going to be hard for him because he's going to have to like kick it with a certain boot and it's not going to go and I, I know you saw on both of the penalties they didn't fully go in the corner did they no. so that's like a massive disadvantage going through the middle so to make the first save from De Gea was great and then the second one I don't know about you, but I thought it was more poor because the aim on it, De Gea barely had to move. He moved to the left and then he just made the save. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was straight down the middle and he just had to put his hand to it. And then obviously he dived the wrong way, but it was the right height for him and everything. So it's, it's very poor from Saar. But yeah, eventually he got his goal. So. Yep. Um, but then I thought the rest of the first half, we were lacklustre. We, we didn't feel like we were up for it. I don't think anyone really wanted to run for the ball, if I'm totally being honest. Um, I don't think the quality was on the pitch uh, to provide it, or it didn't show through, even though we had the great plays. For example, when the penalty did come, Bruno just blasts it in the air from that um, throw, and it was. He's looking to switch the play, and he blasts it up in the air. McTominay in a very, very position, and McTominay just floors him, basically, but more so with just leaning on his legs to go over. So defensively, we were shocking in that first half. Second half, when we came out, the first, up until that Donny Van, up until Maguire got sent off, 
I thought we're going to get a draw at least out of this because it's tough against Watford. The fans are up for it. They're up for it. So at least we can get a draw. Van der Beek gets his goal. I think it was good to change at half-time, bring in uh, Van der Beek on. I think another player came on as well. With Donny coming on, I, the best player for United across the match, I think he got the ball. The balls that he was just putting through, the weight of pass to Ronaldo on one of the passes was just exquisite. And then playing it down the wings to Wan-Bissaka, through the middle to Ronaldo, like I said, just those little things, it just shows what we're missing out on. And when Pogba's not playing and when Bruno was playing, I thought, Van der Beek outshined both of them today and I know Pogba's injured but especially Bruno he outshined him Sancho the last couple of weeks I think he's he's not really got going I don't think I think that's fair to say yesterday that first 15 minutes of that second half I thought he was really up for it the Ronaldo the Van der Beek goal where he put that superb cross in that was a brilliant cross that's what I expect from Sancho and most United fans do so for Ronaldo to head it down and then Van der Beek put it in the net that was a brilliant goal and our first headed goal of the season, surprisingly. Um, so Sancho had a very game. I thought. I thought all the other players didn't really. Rashford ran a bit. I thought the back line, yeah, like I said before, it's not too good. But when when Maguire gets sent off, and I don't know how you feel about this, Alex, but you expect your captain to lead by example, don't you? Mm-hmm. And with your captain getting sent off when you're doing so well, and knowing that he's already on a yellow, I think he was. For him to get sent off, we're automatically going into panic mode because we know Ollie's not going to change anything, which he didn't in the end because tactically we know what he's like. So that means we had to sit back, hit them on the break, and we did completely the opposite and got exposed for it. And that's where the other two goals came in hand to make it four goals against the one. So Maguire getting sent off and then the rest of the performance, I thought Van der Beek still played very well considering we had 10 men on the pitch. But that last, what? six minutes where they've scored two goals that Dennis goal just topped it off I thought we were done by that but when it just went in there was no emotion for me and I expect a lot of United fans as well uh I know it's very like meaningful for me to hone in on United but what did you think of from an Evans point of view and a sort of just a normal person point of view what do you think I think the only emotion I'd I'd believe you to have was just I don't know kind of not annoyed but like there's no emotion towards the football club like first half I I didn't really see anything from a Man United point of view that warranted a win or any resemblance to to how you were kind of at the start of the season scoring goals for fun um as you said uh first 15-20 minutes of the second half I thought you're probably gonna get a draw out of this um as you said, Donny van der Beek scored and then he almost assisted Ronaldo. But um, yeah, he, he just had a bit of misfooting and stuff like that. Um, and then Sancho played quite well from them. But I think the the substitutes and like Maguire getting sent off, as you said, was um, it just really boiled down the, the intensity that you built up for the last 15, 20 minutes. And um, I think after the England game, where he scored his goal. I think Roy Keane put it perfectly. He's been terrible for, for Man United recently and just because he scored one goal against uh, Albania doesn't make him suddenly make all of them, all the mistakes go away. So, yeah, and he, he's shown it again. And, um, yeah, after that, I think you were just done for. And then, obviously, Watford exposed that in the last couple of minutes and then they got, uh, they got the win out of it. So, fair play. There's one thing with Maguire that's just over this international break and watching the game yesterday is just I don't know it's just been a in the thought in the back of my head when we're on set pieces I know England have the best of the best we have Trent over them Reese James was over them the other day for him to score most headers in for England and barely any for United is it the service would you say it's the service that's been put into him do you think Bruno's not good enough because I will be honest, Bruno doesn't put as many good balls in as Trent does. But he still puts good balls in. And I'm sure they're practicing it training, so he knows the flight of the ball. Why wouldn't he be able to do it for United if he's doing it for England? I think it's probably down to the tactics, because as you said, there's still Luke Shaw and Marcus Rashford, Sancho and Fernandes. They're all capable of putting a good ball into the box. But if you can see with England that 
they have trained the players to cross and it to go on Maguire's head so that it goes in the back of the net. And I don't know if the coaching isn't right at United that they're saying, like, just put a good ball in and someone will head it in because obviously they're not always targeting Maguire. Obviously, he wins them sometimes, but he doesn't really score, as you said. And obviously, you've got a few players who can win a header like Ronaldo and Matic and Lindelof who could all score a header, but obviously they're not as well. So I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I think that's what's most to blame overall. So after the game's finished, Ollie's gone over to the crowd. He's received some boos. I don't know if you've seen the footage, Alex, but he's received some boos. That's when he's gone like that with his two hands in the air. So two high five sort of, but not not in that sort of way. Um, and Bruno, I don't know if you've seen him behind him, but he's like, don't boo Ollie. For him to, for him to have a go at the fans and say, it's not Ollie's fault, it's our fault. Why should Bruno come over there and say, stop booing? Because he knows himself and the team have had a bad performance. And it, this isn't just one bad performance, as we've seen. Liverpool 5-0, the domination by City of 2-0. Young boys even away. All these results have added up to this point. And for Bruno to come over and say, don't oh, don't have a go at him, have a go at us. It's both of you. So I, I, w- I would personally just go back into the dressing room and leave it at that. But the fact that he's saying, no, don't do that, I just thought it was a bit, it was a bit weird from him. And then Jamie Redknapp, and I think he put it perfectly today, he said, if Solskjaer was shaking people's hands, high-fiving people after the game, like nothing's happened, and he was like, you've played diabolical, you should get in and have a go at your players. And that he didn't do that, did he? Whether he because he knew this was the last ride in the last game, I don't know. But we've seen this happen a lot of times where he's gone over after a poor defeat, high-fiving people, handshakes. And you just think... If that was Simeone, and we've seen it at half-time against Liverpool, he would be running into the dressing room like he did and absolutely tearing the players apart to go out and produce a better performance. And I don't know about you, but I've not seen many managers be like Ollie and, I don't know, be so nice in a bad way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, as you were saying, with, with Bruno Fernandes coming over and saying, like, don't, boo Ollie, boo us. I think, as you said, it was both of them. But as we've seen with a managerial change, it can change everything. It can change the players' mentality. Obviously, they haven't got a very harsh mentality under um, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because, as you said, he probably doesn't follow them after uh, every loss and everything. Um, but we've seen with like Chelsea, um, Chelsea under Lampard, the difference that bringing in... Um, Tuchel. Uh, yeah, Tuchel. We've seen the difference that's made to them. They've got a higher press, they've got higher intensity and ultimately that's what won them the Champions League. So, um, as you said, the players obviously do have to have a look at themselves and why they're not um, playing to the best standard, but obviously a managerial change is a must. Yeah, and this leads, I mean, well, just before we come to that, after the game, of course, that's happened a so-called board meeting's happening um, and then they come to the decision five la- uh, five hours later that it's undecided. Th- that's just a joke, isn't it? You can't be undecided after you've just lost 4-1 to Watford and the results that I mentioned before. For them to say they're undecided, I, th- I think that's a bit... I don't even know what to describe it, to be honest. It's just a bit... They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I don't see how you can come out of a board meeting about keeping a manager when you've just lost 4-1 to Watford and 5-0 to Liverpool at, at um, Old Trafford and then come up with a valid reason to keep him in the job. Like There's just no valid reason you can give to Ferrari keeping his job after that. Give me your top three people to replace Ollie. I was thinking about it. If I was Manchester United, I would have came up with a replacement in... Um, the international break, I would have asked Eric Ten Hag if he wanted to, to come, which obviously is, is borderline because he does have a job right now. Um, and then if he'd have said no, I would have gone for Zidane. Um, obviously, he's not got a job at the moment. And then, if all if all else fails, I probably would have gone for Brendan Rodgers. That's just me, though. 
So I've I've been talking about this with my United mates and this has been going I've been talking about this since October because that's the game against Liverpool, that's when I thought he would have left and clearly it's not there, but he has now. So the five managers that I would have in, a lot of them are similar to yours actually. So my priority would be Ten Hag by a mile. Ten Hag, but I've heard that he's not going to leave his Ajax job until the end of the season. Now this could link to why United are getting a so Carrick's taken over as the interim manager or the caretaker you could say yeah. and an interim manager's coming in until the end of the season which apparently might have been Darren Fletcher who's currently one of the director of footballs. Apparently that's not happening now. So if they get an interim manager into the end of the season that'll be good but you still want a manager that'll come in and hit the ground like ground running don't you because if they don't then you're having to wait another couple of games and we can't go through the whole of December with Carrick being in charge because it's not fair on him he's been sacked under Mourinho and now Oli so that means nothing's he's tactically not right and he's not very good at getting the players up for the game like Oli was or well Mourinho sort of was in a way but you know what I mean so if that's we have to get a manager in ASAP. We can't ha- we'll leave it until December the 17th because valuable points will be lost and that's where we won't get top four. Uh, sitting currently in seventh joint on Brighton, I think we are at the moment, which is somehow there. Um, so, yeah, that's why the manager bits happen at the moment. But my other ones would be, and I'm not really trying to do them in order, to be honest, just off the, what I'm thinking. Luis Enrique from Spain, he dominates games and I think he could get the best out of uh, the players. I know Ronaldo fancies him as well. I've heard a report. I think, I don't know if you've heard of him, Alex. Ralph Ragnick. Oh, yeah, I think he's one of them who, is is he the Leipzig one? Uh, So he's a director of football at Leipzig and RB Salzburg. So both of the Red Bull clubs. But he was previously a manager, and I think he's currently managing Lokomotiv Moscow as well. Yeah, I think we were heavily linked to him when uh, before we got Benitez, uh, and apparently he had agreed to join and everything, but we went for Benitez for, for some stupid reason. Oh. Um, but I looked into him in a, a bit, and I think his philosophy of how he runs a football club is just outstanding, and I, I can see why he'd go to somewhere like Man United as well. Yeah. Uh, he's 62 years old like you said got tons of experience one of the things that I saw was Klopp how he plays this heavy metal football so people call it in Press. I think it was Ralph who actually introduced it to him yeah. and came up with one of the people who came up with an idea um, to press that way so for Klopp to do what he's done and think as a United fan as me and as an Everton fan you could have got him couldn't you thinking what we could have been looking at Klopp in Liverpool you just think anybody would take that, wouldn't you? Yeah. So for me, everything that you said about Ralph Ragnarok, then I would, I would take. So he he's on my list as well. I don't think he will be on a lot of people's lists though, um, mainly because they don't really know him and we're not really heavily linked. I think also Brendan Rodgers, like you said, has to be on the list. Although with his performances lately, and I know recent forms a bit of a, you can take it with a pinch of salt. I'm not too confident in him. And I know he's got injury stuff, which is fair enough, but it's hard to see past the results that he's producing at the moment. And I would take him, to be honest. I would take him in this current state because I know what he can do and I know his potential. So Brendan Rodgers as well. And the other one would be Zidane. And the reason why I say that Zidane is he can manage the top-level players. Ronaldo Varane, he's worked with them, won three Champions Leagues with them in a row. So he's proven that he can do it. And the other big big names in the dressing room, Pogba as well, he's got the French connection. Then he's got uh, Bruno as well, I think he could learn off him. And him being in those finals and winning those trophies means that he's had the experience, he knows what the players are going through, and he can elevate the club with his experience, which we didn't have under Oli. So with Zidane coming in, I think that completely changes the game. The only one thing is, I don't think he can speak very good English. However, if he does learn it, then that's good, but... That's the only thing that's holding me back from saying get him in straight away. Um, but if you could have a translator like Bielsa does, yeah, I think we. I was going to say Bielsa hasn't really struggled that much. Um, yeah. Considering he doesn't know a word of English, so. Yeah, um, and that's another thing as well. I don't think managers should come over and be worried about that they don't speak English because when we go over to countries, we don't really bother learning language, do we? Like. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think it's more because English English is a, a global language and everywhere that doesn't speak English learns to speak it. So I think that really helps. But as you said, I don't think they should be worried about coming over. They can always have a translator. Yeah. We're nearly finished on United, by the way. <laughs> We've just got one last thing. And I wanted to talk about Sky Sports today. We're sort of pushing the Pochettino to United again. And the people had their own opinions of the pundits. And what I came to was, why would Poch leave PSG with the team that he's got at the moment? Mbappe, Neymar and Messi up front. With Messi, you'd arguably one of the best players to ever play the game, if not the. And to have Ramos as well. And it's basically a super team, isn't it? We're not going to argue about it. That is a super team. So to leave that to go and build something at United... I think an, an idiot would do that, to be honest. I don't think anyone would do that. The only reason why I think he would do that is because he know he wants to come back to the Premier League and he Manchester United might fit the mould of what he wants to do going long term rather than a PSG, you need to win the Champions League on a yearly basis type module, if you know what I mean. What do you think about that? Um, I don't know. I think... The main thing that Man United need to look for in a manager is tactical nous, and I think you're going to get that more with Rangnick and um, Ten Hag than you are with Pochettino. Uh, obviously, you've got it not not a very high level with um, with Zidane and uh, Rodgers, but I think they have uh, quite a lot of tactical nous, and obviously Zidane in the Champions League is really where United are aiming for. Um, but I think, as you said, Pochettino. I think there's no reason for him to, to leave PSG so early after he's had all that transfer window and pushing for the Champions League, getting to the Champions League final as well. So, yeah. We'll move on to the other results now. Uh, Norwich beat Southampton 2-1. Pukki getting the first goal in the seventh. Oh, no, first goal for Norwich. And then Adam, sorry, got the first goal first, uh, of the game in the fourth minute. Hanley scored the winner in the 79th. A good start for Dean Smith. Yeah, very. I think it was important that he hit the ground running here because uh, Norwich desperately need a, a couple of wins to in order to get some hope to, of staying up. Um, I think he changed the formation up a bit. He, he brought Gilmore and um, a couple of other players back in the starting lineup who'd kind of been frozen out um, with the former manager. And obviously, a win against a half decent Southampton side is is very very good for them. Yeah, I think that one of the issues was with uh, Daniel Farker, of course, the results didn't go his way, was he kept his team very the same every single week and he wasn't willing to change it around. And like you said, Billy Gilmore was frozen out of the team, basically. Why bring a lone player in and not play him? And he's got yeah. that much talent. I think he, he also, as you said, kind of didn't change the formations, which, means, uh, which meant Mila Rashika was either playing up front or not playing at all so and obviously his best position is on that right wing so I think one of their most important players in Mila Rashica wasn't really getting to to play at his full level so now Dean Smith has come in and has seen the the quality of play that they have um he's obviously made some changes and it's obviously worked Yes, um, I, I was saying, and I think I said it to you and Joe, imagine if Daniel Farker went to Villa and Dean Smith went to Norwich, and only one happened in the end. Uh, we'll come on to Aston Villa in a minute, but what would Norwich's expectations be for the rest of the season, just quickly, with Dean Smith? Um, I think they just need to look at grinding out results. Obviously, they haven't got the best squad in the, in the Premier League, but they've invested quite heavily. And um, if they keep grinding out results, obviously, against some teams, you're not really going to get them, but... Results like these are going to, if they accumulate, they're going to keep them up as well. So, very important for them. The next game was a 3 all thriller with LaSalle scoring Tony for Brentford, Joe Linton, uh, Henry, sorry, then Joe Linton, then LaSalle's got an own goal and then St. Maximin managed to get a equaliser uh, to keep it for a draw. I mean, it was a great game. I, and I've not really watched the highlights. I saw the goals go in as they went in. But for Brentford to do so well away from home and with Newcastle's hype that they've got with the new owners coming in, it was really like a star-studded performance by Brentford, I thought. And for Newcastle to come back, it shows how much determination they want to get better, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think it was one of the most exciting games in the, in the Premier League so far, very end-to-end. And you can see the difference with Newcastle 
with the uh, with the new manager in Eddie Howe. Obviously, he couldn't be at the game because he he did have some COVID symptoms. But um, you could see the difference it made from from Steve Bruce. They were so much more attacking. Uh, Joe Linton obviously got a goal and an assist. But um, yeah, you could see he's still kind of not uh, figured out that forty million price tag. But uh, players like Sam Maximan and Joe Willock really stepped up, and um, you could see the attacking threat that they had that you didn't really see with uh, Steve Bruce in charge as well. So it was very good for them. And obviously from a Brent- Brentford point of view, they would have wanna, uh, wanted to take all three points. But um, I think it was a good performance from them. And if you score three goals, then it's always a, a, a good uh, a good match. Definitely. Um, I would go on to the next game, but I know we've missed a lot of news over the last past couple of months. But one of the biggest ones was the Saudi takeover. I know a lot of people, I think, well, 19 of the 20 Premier League clubs are against it because of how much money Newcastle could get into. Uh, and the previous history with uh, killing some journalists as well, which has also been quoted. What do you think about the Saudi reign at the moment? I think there does have to be some regulations on it. Like I'm OK with, I think, like the Burnley takeover that was really not really... Um, published about that much I think it's really transformed Burnley and the way they play their football considering they were unable to to buy any top class players uh, beforehand and now they've got a bit more money so they can spend it and become a Premier League quality side but in terms of the Newcastle takeover I think there was some statistics like um, the the new owners are richer than all the Premier League owners combined which is just a bit bad and I think um the other 19 teams are are probably right to to be against it, and it's just as we said, money's ruining football. And um, if the EFL keep allowing these takeovers to happen, then it's just going to keep getting worse. I do think, like what they do in rugby, and we've said it for a long time, I think wage caps need to be introduced, especially with this takeover coming in. That would be one of the big things, I think, because if if the, this does happen, then like you you could see domination for at least a couple fifty more years. <laughs> you could say from Newcastle, depending on another come, owner if they come in. But I know are they in the top ten list for one of the richest people in the yeah. world. I think that's Prince. Basically, a country. But yeah, it is, isn't it? I think it it comes under the Saudi Arabian country. I think it's yeah. an organisation. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, if. We'll have to see what happens because I know I know they'll put a lot into the community. Hopefully, like City did, um, but whether they will absolutely dominate the Premier League and Europe for the next couple of years, we'll have to wait and see. But we do know you can have a lot of money and not use it well. And with Eddie Howe coming in, that's we'll go on to him now. Actually, is he the right man to manage all that money and all the talent? You think with the lack of experience that he's got? Um. I'd probably say he isn't the worst manager, but obviously he did keep that Bournemouth side in the Premier League for so long and they, they barely spent a penny, really. Um, they weren't really the richest team in the AFL and he did so well with them without really spending that much money. Um, and as you said, he's unproven if he did get like £100 million for a transfer window. So we'll just have to see how wisely they spend it. But um, yeah. We don't really know, but I, I don't know. I don't know who they could have got instead of him, really. So. Yeah, do you reckon they could Eddie Howe could be a stop person, like sort of a hitman in between, and then they get a manager in that they will have for a couple, ten more years, say for instance, that will be solid. Yeah, it's, it's very possible with the amount of money that's that's just come in, but um, yeah, I think if Eddie Howe manages to, to keep them up this season, I, I, I can see him keeping his job for, say, three or four more years. Yeah, so we'll have to see what Newcastle do to stay above the relegation zone. The next game was another 3 all draw with Burnley and Crystal Palace. Um, one of the highlights of the game, or two highlights, was Benteke scoring two goals. Fiera's done something with him, which nobody thought you could do. And then Corne scoring... An absolute rocket of a volley. Did you see that volley? I put it yeah, in the chat. Yeah, it was absolutely there. mad. Um, so, yeah, Maxwell, Maxwell Corney, what do you think? Because it was a strange move to come to Burnley, but it seems to be one of the best moves that he's ever made in his career, it seems to be. Yeah, um, I think it raised a lot of eyebrows from a lot of people. It's not really a Burnley-type signing. 
Um, and obviously he's playing in a, a front two with Chris Wood. Normally they have someone like Ashley Barnes, who uh, really isn't isn't that fast. And I think Maxwell Corney coming in, uh, he's very versatile. He can play in a lot of positions. He's very fast uh, as well. And just to have that extra dynamic up front for Burnley is a very important thing for them. And obviously he's hit the ground running as well with five goals in his se- first seven games, which is absolutely mad for for someone coming into a side which are probably bottom half of the table. So, yeah, it's very good for him. The contrast of Crystal Palace between last year and this year, I don't think I've seen such a quick turnaround because we know what it was like Roy Hodgson, 4-4-2, sit back. Vieira playing expansive football, 4-3-3, go and press the team in front of you. They managed to beat City 2-0. Conor Gallagher is probably one of the best players in the Premier League this season so far. Benteke is now scoring. Everything just seems to be coming together for them, doesn't it? Yeah, and especially with Eze coming back in from injury now, uh, they're going to be very frightening going forward if they're not already. So, yeah, it's very good for them. I think Patrick Vieira has just uh, found the the players that um, they, they couldn't really find the past few seasons. Like Wilfred Zaha, he kept getting pushed out wide under Hodgson and now he's he's kind of playing in a front two sometimes with Benteke uh, and obviously with Conor Gallagher behind them it's just working wonders and then uh, Elise as well 19 year old still te- still a teenager first season in the in the Premier League and he's he's already banging in the assists as well so yep very well done to Vieira but we'll move on to Aston Villa and they won 2-0 against Brighton yesterday sort of a last Six minutes or so, Villa decided to score two goals with Watkins getting a very well-taken goal and Mings uh, getting a sort of a revolutionary goal with that celebration, especially um, with Steven Gerrard being the new manager. It was a great performance considering how well Brighton have started the season, especially. Do you think the change was needed for Steven Gerrard to come in with Dean Smith doing okay? I know he lost five of the his last five games, so you could say it did need it to change. What do you think about that? And then I'll, I'll, what do you think about Steven Gerrard coming in? Um, I think he'll offer them a bit more fight. He's obviously a very, not aggressive manager, but he, he always says what he thinks. Um, and if a player's not playing well, he'll just bring them off and, and tell them what they've done wrong. And I didn't really see that in Dean Smith. Um, he's not really changed the formation either, um, Steven Gerrard. And he's he's got them playing a whole lot better than they did um last time uh, the last few games um but i don't really see much difference obviously brighton had quite a lot of possession they they were unlucky not to score a few but um i think aston villa defended very well and, and ultimately got the goals to win the game definitely we'll move on to chelsea three less than nil chelsea still keep that three-point gap between them and manchester city in second I think it was an, another outstanding performance, I think, um, from the Blues. Um, I, I think the performance overall is what we expect from Chelsea this season, what we've been accustomed to, really, um, so far this season. I mean, Rudiger scoring that brilliant header uh, that was flicked on very nicely, 14th minute, and Kante scored a sort of a solo goal. That was weird how none of the Leicester players went up to him and, I don't know, tried to just tackle him, really. That's the only really old... I would say leathering, but just tackle him to get him off the ball. And then Christian Pulisic scored a great little tactical, I would say tactical goal, just say intricate play between him and uh, Hakim Ziyech, who made a massive impact the second half. And Chelsea got the three points. Uh, We said at the start of the year, but between Chelsea, City and Liverpool, and not many people are talking about Liverpool. I said Chelsea, and I still firmly stand by that. Did you say Chelsea? And if so... Yeah, it's been shown really, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's gone really under the radar how well Chelsea are playing. Um, I think a lot of more people got to see them considering they were at the early kickoff, and I think a lot of people saw how well they, how far they've come from from uh, Frank Lampard. Their their pressing is very, very, very good, um, and if they can get Lukaku back, I think they obviously they got a few goals disallowed for offside, but. I think they would have scored four or five that match. And, and against a, a Leicester side, which haven't been that good this season, but they've got quality as well. So it's a very, very good performance. Next game was Liverpool for Arsenal nil. 
Liverpool absolute domination with 19 shots on target and nine on uh, nine 19 shots and nine on target uh, with Liverpool putting four in the back of the net. Sadio Mane, Diogo Jota, Salah and Minamino with his first touch, which turned into a goal. Ramsdale really kept it in, like Arsenal in the half for the first half. I thought uh, making some vital saves. At one point, you would think, is this guy even human making that amount of good saves? Um, from the Arsenal side of things, though, you weren't expecting a great deal. You thought everyone thought that there was going to be domination by Liverpool, which happened in the end, and they tried to hit them on the break, but it just felt like the gap between the attack and the halfway line even wasn't big enough really for them to go and counter attack and really hurt Liverpool. Yeah, I think that's something that they really need to improve on. Obviously, Thomas Partey came back into the into the midfield for Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who I thought had a good game last time out. But um, yeah, obviously, he returned from injury. And then I think it's Sambi Lakonga as well in the midfield. And I think those two, obviously, they haven't been together for for that long. And if they are to, to improve, then it'll really help uh, Arsenal's style of play going forward, especially so. Now we'll move on to the managers that have come in uh, most recently. Uh, Xavi being one who's coming in from the Saudi Arabian club. Um, He's first got his first win yesterday from his first game, beating Espanyol 1-0 with Memphis Depay scoring from the penalty spot. And I can already see in the passes here, Alex, absolute domination by Barca with 663 passes, which is nearly close to the Man City's. Do you think he'll hit the ground running? Do you reckon he will be successful at Barcelona and Above all else, he needs time, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. I think he's exactly what Barcelona need at the moment. Um, under Koeman, they had no real philosophy. No, None of the players are really playing for the badge. And I think now they've got Xavi and he'll re-implement the, the style of play, which I think he even got going in Saudi Arabia. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very good for them. And I think this, this win in the, the first game is very important as well to, to build some momentum. Staying with Barcelona and uh, Sergio Aguero's come out and uh, tweeted and on Instagram this was uh, amidst the rumours I'm telling you that I'm following the indications of the club's doctors undergoing tests and treatments and seeing my progress uh, progress within 90 days. Always positive he's put at the end of it but uh, I don't know if you saw Alex but later, yesterday around the afternoon time uh, Sergio Aguero did come out uh, and say that he is set to retire um, because I believe he has got a certain disease that has been sort of like sticking with him and he's known about it since the start of the season and his injury. If he does retire, it's a massive miss to the game, but he certainly did have some memories and a lot of City memories as well. Yeah, I think they were talking about it on match of the day as well. He's probably got one of the the most important memories in in Premier League history with that goal against uh, QPR. Um, I think he's the top all-time goal scorer for overseas uh, players in the Premier League and I think he'll really go down as not only as a Manchester City legend but as a Premier League legend as well. Um, probably not on the on the level of Henri but uh, definitely close up there. Uh, I just wish he could have done a bit more for Argentina because obviously he was a bit drowned out by Messi and everything but yeah he was a wonderful player and um, yeah I'm just sad he, he has to go this early. Also, some injury news. Angel- Angelo Ogbonna of West Ham has successfully gone undergone surgery. Very important that they get him back in the team. I know they've got Diop and uh, Zuma at the back. Zuma being very well, coming in for around £30 million, done very well this season. But Ogbonna will be missed. Uh, but surely, when he does come back in, they're fighting for places yet again, which is good for West Ham. That's what keeps them going, it seems, to stay in that third, fourth spot. Yeah, definitely. I think with with Ogbonna there, obviously they've still got Dawson and, and Diop, but I don't think either of them have the real presence that Ogbonna has, obviously, in the air and with his pace and everything. So, yeah, the quicker they can get, get him back, the better. Sort of. I've just decided, just on the spot, Alex, we'll do a mini preview of the Champions League. Um, we'll go through the big games. Uh, of course, it is the match day five of the six games. Bayern Munich... Dinamo Kiev, you expect Bayern to win, don't you, under the recent form with Nagelsmann? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Villarreal versus Manchester United, that's um, uh, 5.45 on Tuesday. A very big game for United, I think, because if they don't win this game, 
they don't really go securely into that last game knowing that they've got a space in the qualifying uh, into uh, the round of 16, sorry. So United do need the three points in that game. Chelsea-Juventus will be a big game. Do you reckon Chelsea will come on top of it because they are at home? Um, yeah, I think with the with the exception of the last game they played, I think uh, Juventus beat them 1-0, but obviously they had home advantage. Um well, the the crowd was really up for it and everything, but um, yeah, I think going back to Stamford Bridge, I don't think Juventus will have enough of, enough quality to to beat Chelsea. They've really fallen off this season, on in the Juve, considering how well yeah. the Milan clubs are doing. I think they they won, yeah, they've won their last three games. Obviously, won in the Champions League, but I don't think they're anywhere near the, where they want to be. I think they're seventh in the league now. Uh, obviously, Napoli are, are currently playing into Milan. Um, to probably secure the the Champions League places this early on. So, yeah, it's a, a very big couple of days and couple of weeks for Juventus. Xavi makes his first uh, debut as a Champions League manager for Barcelona on Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Uh, you expect Barcelona to come out winners of that game, but knowing what happened against Benfica away, losing 3-0, that was a massive shock. Could it happen again? Um. I can't see it happening in that sort of style. I can definitely see Benfica maybe getting some out of the game, but um, I think it really depends on what sort of uh, style uh, Xavi puts into the team. Obviously, he got his first win uh, last week, but um, yeah, it's very important for him to to implement this mindset that he he needs to, to get them playing well in the Champions League. Yep, and I'm going to put this next game in. Um, sort of, I don't know, the game to watch in a way uh, with two unknown clubs. I say unknown clubs, they're known well, but they're not uh, Europe's elite, let's just say. Lille and RB Salzburg, that's Tuesday at eight o'clock. I think that will be a very interesting game tactically wise. Um, and I think it will be very end to end. So do keep an eye out for that game. Um, the next game would be Inter versus Shakhtar Donetsk. Of course, Inter doing so well this season. You expect big things from them. Ajax playing Besiktas after Ajax beat Dortmund twice over, which no one expected. Then Dortmund are also playing Sport and Lisbon away. And then a big game, Manchester City versus PSG at the Etihad, Alex. We might see the return of Messi back in Manchester. I say the return. I mean, after what he did the, the last time in 2014-15, yeah. when he came and absolutely dominated. Uh, do you reckon it will be the same domination from PSG? But then again, City are a different team to back then. Yeah, I think it'll definitely be an interesting match. Uh, obviously, last time PSG came out 2-0 winners. Uh, I think that was, how many weeks ago is it now? Like eight weeks? Yeah. Um, but I think that was more like, obviously, the, the PSG fans having the home advantage and everything. Uh, it was probably hard for, for Manchester City to counter all of that. But I think back at the Etihad, obviously, I think there's going to be no De Bruyne as well because he's tested positive for, for COVID. It'll definitely be a, a hard one for them. But, um, yeah, I can I can see them winning this one. Then Atletico Madrid versus AC Milan. That'll be a very good game as well. Um, one to note, definitely. That's Wednesday, 8 o'clock. Uh, at the Stadio Metropolitano. Um, both of them really do need a win, considering Porto a second and then Liverpool, of course. You know that they're getting through with 12 points um, and the gap between them and second place is just, I think it's seven points now, um, which is incredible. So I think we both expect Liverpool to win that game, don't we? Yeah, I think I think there'll be less pressure on them now, obviously. Um, they're so far ahead in their group. Have they already qualified? I think they have with 12 points. Yeah, so there'll definitely be less pressure, but I think with the amount of quality that that Liverpool have, they'll get the job done. Then the last game to round off, Sheriff versus Real Madrid. Now, this group is really, really heated up in the last couple of games. Sheriff doing so well, of course, an unknown team, which many people haven't even heard of before this Champions League campaign. But they are currently sitting third. And if they do win and Inter lose against Shakhtar, that does take them on points with Real Madrid uh, with nine points in first. If they do get a win, this will be a massive win considering how much you expect Real and Inter to get through, don't you? Yeah, definitely. I think it'll be an important last day for, for Sheriff as well, obviously, if they lose this one, which everyone really is expecting them to. Um, but again, if, if Inter win, uh, then they have a very good chance of getting to the Europa League as well. So 
I think any any result ultimately after the the start they had to the group and even the the effect they're having in the group, which no one thought they'd have, is a, a very good achievement. I'll just outline the big games of the Premier League as well. Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa at Selhurst Park on Saturday at three. That will be a very entertaining game considering, I don't know about you Alex, but I would say that Steven Gerrard and Vieira sort of have the same philosophy of how they want to play press high, 4-3-3. I think it could be a, a match to watch for the whole of the season considering how both teams are uh, and the quality. Who do you think will come out victory? Um... I think it's correct me if I'm wrong, but Crystal Palace are unbeaten at home this season, so I think it'll be very uh, interesting to see how Aston Villa line up against them, whether they go slightly more defensive than they did against Brighton, or whether they just go all guns blazing, which I'd like to see. Um, but yeah, I think Crystal Palace have been so good going forward this season that it'll be hard for, for Aston Villa to keep a clean sheet, so I'm going to go... I might go 2 all. 2 all. And then uh, Brighton versus Leeds, that's probably a big game to watch considering how well those teams are tactically inept, really, with uh, Marcelo Bielsa and Graham Potter. And then... They, they have just lost Leeds, so... 2-1. Um, slowly getting worse for them. Yeah. So that's Conte's first Premier League win, and he's yeah. come back from behind, which you wouldn't expect from Spurs. <laughs> no, it's, it's very interesting. Yep, and then Manchester City also beat uh, Everton 3-0. Do you want to give a quick analysis on that? Or... I, I don't think there was many tactics implemented in the in the entire match. Um, <laughs> obviously, we are kind of riddled with injuries now, and obviously um, now we've got Damari Gray out for, for a while and Richarlison is out for Brentford. Um, so it's slowly, slowly getting worse. Um, but I don't think we can just use that as a as a blame for the performance we've just had. Like City just were, were all over us at every point of the game and they thoroughly deserved it. Um, there was no passion from any of them. Um, Awobi, I don't know why he's still at this football club. He, he literally does nothing. Um, there wasn't really many positives at all other than Tyler Onyango getting his, his debut. So, yeah, I think it's a, a, a lateralist result. And I think also... Um, Rafa Benitez has to be a bit careful. Like we've got two points out of the last possible eighteen, which is utterly dreadful. So um, if he if he goes on to to lose against Brentford and then not win the derby, then I think he'll be out. Who do you reckon will come in for him? That's a big question. I have no clue. Um, I'd like to see Ragnick if he doesn't go uh, Man United, but yeah. obviously they'd have to come in before the January transfer window because that's the only time we're going to turn the season around. Definitely. Um, so hopefully you can get a result against Brentford, but I mean, we'll, we'll have to see, won't we? Um, the next game, well, that was the next game, actually, Brentford versus Everton. Uh, you're confident going into that game. You've just listed everything then. Do you reckon you can get a win? But I mean, it is Brentford and we know what they're like at home, don't we? So it is going to be a hard game for you. Yeah, the only thing I'm holding on to is uh, at some points this season, Brentford haven't been that good defensively. And I think what we've struggled with recently is scoring goals. So if we can get some crosses in to maybe Ellis Sims or Tosin, who's starting up front, um, then we can maybe put a few past them. I just hope Ivan Tony's not on form for, for the game because we are going to see it a few, concede a few. So, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. Would your advice to Rafa B go five at the back? I don't know. I think everyone, when he came in, probably said that we're gonna, he's going to make us solid defending and everything. But I think we've had about three clean sheets this season um, and it's not really worked. Uh, when we've been five at the back, we've conceded more. So um, I don't really know. But obviously, sometimes five at the back can can help. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and then Manchester City versus West Ham, second versus fourth. West Ham have had an incredible start to the season. I don't think anyone can argue about that. The result against Liverpool topped it off. Do you reckon with that result against Wolves yesterday, losing 1-0 with Jimenez scoring, is sort of the downfall now that they could not make top four and sustain the success that they've had these past couple of weeks? Yeah, obviously it's going to be hard with injuries starting to creep through us now, uh, now as well. And obviously they're going to be riddled with um, 
uh, Europa League games as well, so it's going to be harder for them. Um, but I think they always show up uh, quite much against the big teams, and obviously City uh, um, at the London Stadium last year, they only just lost two, so it's going to be an interesting one, and obviously David Moyes always puts quite a lot of fight into his West Ham team, so yeah, it'll definitely be an interesting game, but I can see City winning it quite comfortably. Yeah, but it will be an interesting tie at the Etihad. And to top it all off, Chelsea play Manchester United at Stamford Bridge. Michael Carrick's Manchester United, that will be for that game. Uh, first place versus eighth place now, currently Manchester United. I think Carrick's tactics going into the game, I think he will literally just sit back and hit them on the break because yeah. if we do what we did against Liverpool, and I know there's different formations, uh, sorry for all the listeners, I've just hit the mic, um, then the press, the, both the same way. If we go for it like we did against Liverpool, expect more goals because Chelsea sometimes, I say sometimes, majority of the time, finish off the dinner basically and hit those goals into the back of the net. And they should have had seven the other day. Um, I say the other day, yesterday, with the amount of goals of offside that they were given. But to watch out for, we know what to watch out for for Chelsea, that front line, the defence is solid in the midfield and that the wing backs with Reese James and Chilwell have been fire lately, Reese James especially. It will be hard to contain for Manchester United, but we'll see what they can get out of it. Do you, do you think there's any hope for United or do you reckon it'll just be Chelsea domination and a quick 1-0, 2-0 win for Chelsea? Um, I think it's going to be hard, definitely, for Manchester United, as you said. Um, the last two times they've played, it's, it's ended 0-0, so I think that's a bit of hope for Man United, but I don't think there's there's any way you're gonna stop Chelsea from scoring in their in their current form. Um, I could maybe see it going one all. Uh, obviously, Chelsea have been frustrated by a few teams that have just sat back, like Burnley. So um, there's definitely hope for you, but yeah, I can't really see you keeping a clean sheet. Yep. Um, and then two more things: RB Leipzig versus Manchester City Champions League match in a couple more weeks will be played behind closed doors. I think it'll be the 7th of December, that tie. Um, it's just due to the COVID-19 rates in Germany getting higher. Um, so I think it's best for the safety for the German citizens, really, isn't it? And the England fans when they're travelling away, isn't it? Yeah. I think uh, um, if we don't start regulating a bit, then obviously it's just going to keep getting worse. And then obviously we don't want to go back into the Premier League where we have to have restricted attendances. So. Yeah, especially with it being winter now, going into winter, it'll be yeah. rates will be rising. So yeah, everybody stay safe still. Um, and I just re- realised I just wanted to include one more manager that we've not spoken about, and then we will finish. Antonio Conte, of course, he's got his win today. Very confident for him to come into the job and take a Spurs team which has struggled, not won the title in sixty years, and he's normally coming to clubs that haven't have been in a bad position, big clubs especially. You think of Juventus, Inter Milan, Chelsea. And they've had recent success, but they've not managed to bounce back in the upcoming years. And then he's brung them that success in the short period of time he's been there. With Spurs not winning the title for 60 years or so, will this be his biggest challenge yet? I think so, obviously. Um, Tottenham getting him in was a, a, a great shock for everyone. Everyone probably thought he was probably going to end up somewhere like United. Um, but as you said, it's going to be one of his hardest jobs. He's obviously inherited the Chelsea side, uh, which ultimately was a very, very good side. And then he won the um, the Premier League with them. He inherited the Inter side, made quite a few uh, transfers and then obviously won the, the Serie A with them. But I think where the Tottenham side is at the moment, I think they're nowhere near challenging for a title. Obviously, it'd be a very good success if he ended up getting Champions League football with them. But um, yeah, it'll definitely be a, a very challenging job. I don't know if you saw, but I think he's banned sweets, fizzy drinks and ketchup, which yeah. Dan Foster won't be happy about if he gets a transfer. Yeah, I think with with Conte, he's, he's an all-out manager. Um, he knows how to run a football club and I think that's what Tottenham really need after... So many um, managers not really knowing at all. They need a freak geek, and that's what they've got, haven't they? A a controlling manager that they need. Um, Do you reckon him and Levy will clash? Because we know what Daniel Levy's been like with previous managers. Mourinho especially not getting the players that he wants. Um, I mean, there is a chance, but I hope 
um, he keeps it professional and just as a, a professional job to, to keep his status as one of the best managers in the world currently. Yeah, and you spoke about him being a real manager and I think it was his first training session. He had them playing the 3-5-2 formation, which he's been accustomed to these past couple of years. I mean, straight from day one, he's just implementing his philosophy and that's what the great managers do, don't they? Yeah, if he can get all of those players wanting to play for Tottenham and, and playing the way he wants them to play then... I think success will come uh, pretty soon. Yep. And that is a wrap for the return of the JDA Football Podcast. Hopefully, we'll have one next week. I'm up for it if you're up for it, Alex. Yeah. Yep. We'll try and get Joe on as well. Some special guests or something. Yeah, hopefully. Oh, have you sneak peek there? (laughs) I have not been informed about this, listener. So we'll have to see. (laughs) Neither have I. All right, so you're just guessing. All right, okay. Um, So, yeah, that is a wrap for this podcast episode. Uh, anything else to tell uh, no just everyone make sure you you look at your FPL team because you're all behind me ooh yeah so big shout out from Alex there make sure to look at it. I've been struggling recently 43 points this week what about you uh, 72 ooh yep right Rudiger. we need people Rudiger's, to catch up uh, me oh I need to get him in I was looking at him and Chilwell but yeah, we will put we will finish it there, and we can talk about FPL next week as well. And um, but yeah, that is a bye from me. I'm me.